When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was just out in L.A. for some meetings, for some podcast interviews. I snuck in a little bit of hiking out in Joshua Tree because it's gorgeous out there. But while I was in L.A., I knew that there was one person I needed to talk to. His name is Stephen Ken, and he runs this incredible design studio focused on furniture and leather goods. And my goodness, I have been a fan of this guy for years. Before I get too deep into the backstory of Stephen Ken, let me just welcome you. This is Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I am Brandon Harvey, and every week we host hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the unique experiences that drive them to use their influence for good. Stephen Ken is so incredible because I have just absolutely admired him for years, and he's actually shifted the way that I tell stories and interact with the world in some really cool ways. I remember back when I was in college and I was shooting a lot of photos and my friends knew that I was passionate about storytelling, even though I maybe didn't even quite know what that meant yet. And they said, Brandon, you've got to watch this video. And it was this commercial that Stephen Ken had made. And it was, it was essentially advertising one of his incredibly designed products, but it didn't feel like an ad. It, it was a story. It was, it sucked me in and brought me into an experience. It, told this story of the power of community and, and how you can have an impact through the things that you bring into the world and, and what collaboration can look like and, and what it means to pass down something uh, from generation to generation and, and to leave an impact on the future in little ways and in big ways. And it changed the way that I thought about my life, but the way that this story was told in such a beautiful and hopeful and meaningful way changed the way that I told stories from there on out. And so after I watched this video, I, I just started following everything Steven did and started following along with his incredible design work and the new things he was creating. And I'd never really followed a designer before, but Steven immediately became my favorite designer. And I was actually blown away. I just remember this story uh, that one time I was in New York, it was a few years ago, and I was on this train and I look over across the subway car and I see a familiar face and uh, it's Steven and his wife, Bex, and and so we start talking and, and we've got a few mutual friends and uh, we talk about his work and then I've got to get off the train and I say goodbye. And I was probably really awkward, but it was such a cool, magical, random moment. And then the next time I saw him was when I got to have this conversation with him in LA in his studio. And it was so cool. I, I walked up to his studio and instead of going through a normal door, he rolled up the garage door that kind of serves as the entrance to his home that is also a studio and a bar and a coffee shop and uh, a place to display his furniture and his bags. And, and we just sat down on some of the furniture that he'd made and we had a conversation. And I loved the conversation. I loved getting to talk with Stephen about his process and, and how he brings other people into the fold and kind of creates a sense of collaboration with his work. I love that we got to have a conversation about legacy and 
community and, and the impact that the things he creates and the things that we all create can have on the world in, in big and little ways. And we talked about routines and creativity and I left this conversation genuinely processing through how I can make changes in my life to, to kind of do what Stephen does a little bit more, you know, in my own way. And so, man, I could tell you all kinds of stuff about Stephen. That's the stuff I love about him, but he's also won awards. You've probably seen his furniture in incredible boutiques or stores or studios around the world. He's so talented and well-respected, but most of all, he is kind and he is generous and he lives a good story. And that's what we want to get into. So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into my conversation with designer Stephen Ken. As I was kind of thinking about this, and you really are just somebody who, at least to me, it seems like creates all the time. What would you say is the first thing that you ever remember creating? Mm, pretty easy to to call it out. Um, I had graduated from high school um, went and taught English in Taiwan for a year and I came back and my mom really wanted me to go to school. (laughs) So I agreed that I would go and study psychology. And while I was doing that, I had the summers off and I made enough money in, in Taiwan to cover school to an extent, but I took on a summer job and it's actually still to this day, like one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, but I would mow lawns for this big oil refinery. And so... <laughs> and you, where is this? Is this up in, in Canada. Okay, yeah, Canada. so I'm, I'm from Canada. So this was in Alberta, um, just outside of a little town called Sherwood Park. And I'd jump on this lawnmower and just ride this thing for like, like you do like four hours and finish an entire field and then you'd go to the next and then you'd call it a day. So you do like two fields, you know? Um, (laughs) But while I was doing this, like I would listen to uh, tapes on like how to learn Spanish or I would like music or just, and mini disc players. Do you remember those? Yeah. So my friends and I would like make each other mini discs and like (laughs) I'd have this like dusty grass filled mini disc. Um, But while I was doing that, I had this idea at one point to sew a piece of fabric behind a t-shirt and then sew a design onto it and then cut away the t-shirt so that the underneath fabric showed through. The name for that is called reverse applique. Essentially all my friends were silk screening and I just thought, Oh, that's kind of cool, but I don't have any of the equipment. So I want to maybe start a brand and so I could do that because I know my mom has a sewing machine. So I came home that day and I was like, I have this idea, mom. I want to try and make this like sewn t-shirt. And she was really busy. She's like, I don't really have time to show you how to use it. You're going to break it. So she ended up leaving and I, used it and sure enough broke it but like got through my shirt and finished <laughs> it and I still have it to this day it's no like way. basically gone from white to this like gross yellow color because I've like worn it so many times fantastic and it's got holes all in it but there's still this black square that said IA which stood for Iron Army which was my first clothing brand that I started with a friend wow and that was kind of like day one of this like seed that was planted inside of me that I felt like if you have an idea and you are relentless with pursuing it, it will become reality. Wow. And would you say that that's the thought process that goes through everything that you're creating now? You're like, I've got this idea and I'm just going to relentlessly pursue it. And then it shows up. Yeah. And I would say even like in, in a funny way, I'm just as hopeful and optimistic about, um, ideas becoming reality as I was then. Um, 
you know, some people go through different seasons where they can kind of get burnt out. And I have learned a lot and grown up a lot in terms of um, how to manage a company and employees and a business and like kind of protect your back with contracts and things like that. But the same little spark of creating and being passionate about creating has kind of stayed the same. Mm. How do you do that then? How do you keep that spark alive? Because I've gone through the same thing where you have to learn these things like how to not get screwed over in a contract, how to manage people, these Mm. things that are way different than actually creating something. Mm. And they're important, but you can almost get too distracted by it. You can almost feel overwhelmed by it what have you kind of learned to fight against that? Yeah. um, I've found that it's really um, important over time to surround yourself with people um, who kind of become a team Hmm. for, for helping make all the little parts to the engine move smoothly. But obviously in the beginning you don't have that. And so to do lists are something that I kind of like learned from my wife where It's just the easiest way to get ideas out onto paper where you Mm. know every single concrete step in order from where you are sitting now to like where it will become reality and crossing those things off the list just get you there. In terms of actually making things and being passionate about making things, I think it's important to always have an idea. So something that you're either taking a look at, for example, you know, um, a bookshelf or something, you can look at a ton of different bookshelves, but I think to, to think, well, how would I go about doing that Mm. then creates a problem. And I think the problem is oftentimes looked at by people as a problem, but to somebody who approaches life through the lens of design, a problem becomes an opportunity for a solution. And so I Mm. almost look for problems now more than anything else. And I think, what is bothering me? Or if I'm listening to people in conversation, people love to complain all the time. What they're doing is actually giving me ideas. Yeah. So I, I love when people just kind of like rant and like go off about all these things that frustrate them. Cause I'm just observing and I'm yeah. like, Oh, interesting. Tell me more. Why is that? You know? And then I get to take that and kind of run it through my worldview of anything's possible. And all I have to do is connect the dots between people and materials in the city that I live in to create a solution. Wow. That's so interesting. Thinking of life through the lens of opportunity rather than problem. Mm. Let me back up and just maybe have you describe what do you create? Like, how would you kind of explain the Stephen Ken brand and, uh, and, and kind of what is within that? Yeah. So the brand kind of has a focus right now on this idea of home and travel. Hmm. Um, when I was thinking about two places that I really love to invest time and energy and money, it's being at home and it's being away from home. And it's kind of those two categories. So I first developed a furniture collection because my wife and I were, were married for about a year and we were buying things to furnish our home. And I, had, I was making bags at the time out of old military fabric and I had this idea to take that same fabric and apply it to a sofa. But I didn't know a thing about making furniture. <laughs> so I actually took the sofa that I'd bought off Craigslist and I ripped it apart, literally like stitch by stitch, pulled all the upholstery off of it and then took a look at this wooden frame that had cotton batting and webbing and elastic and um, springs. And I was more 
fascinated by what was going on inside than I was like on just the finished external yeah. piece, you know? So I wanted to kind of take that same approach to what I was doing and show people the inside. And I've always been more interested in like how things function. And I think that that tells like a little bit more of a transparent story. So after I ripped it apart, um, I wanted this thing to look like it was found, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So I took a torch and burned the wooden frame, blackened the steel with some, uh, some chemicals and then, um, upholstered it in burlap and military canvas. And, when I finished it and I had these like little nails that I upholstered it in and rusted them, it felt like a relic. And I felt like there's something here that feels new, even though I'm like creating something that looks so old. Mm. Um, and it, it just felt fresh and interesting. But then taking another look at it, I thought, how do I modernize this and update it and bring it into kind of like, you know, this particular season in design and so I grabbed a friend who was welding and we welded up a steel frame, ran these belts through it. And the belts were a replica from a Swiss mule belt. And then we upholstered it using old military canvas. And it had this like new modern, like, like post-industrial kind of look to it while still being kind of like rooted in history. And I started basically just texting people f- photos of this thing and a lot of friends responded positively and we're like man keep running with that so we developed that sofa into a full collection where we created a love seat a chaise lounge an armchair a chair an ottoman a coffee table and um yeah after we're sitting on them right now we're sitting on them um (laughs) and and after about a year of doing that um i really didn't want to get kind of pigeonholed into two things, uh, just being about military fabric and also just being a furniture company. Mm. I wanted to kind of establish what I was doing as a design company so that it could give me the freedom to do anything that kind of pops into my head in the future, like later on down the road. And so I had kind of felt that the path that I was on with the bags earlier had kind of got stopped prematurely. And so I wanted to kind of take another crack at a bag line. And so Instead of using the military fabric, I challenged myself to do an all-leather bag collection, was, which was A, more expensive and harder to develop, but also I felt like had the ability um, to create something timeless mm. because I felt like leather was a material that never really wears out, but it only ever wears in. Like it gets better and better with age. And as people use it and beat it up, it has this kind of like sacred feeling to it that it was like, I can never let this go. Like yeah. I've earned the patina that's on this bag. And so... I put together this bag collection with some contractors in the city who are really incredibly talented with working with leather. And um, it's kind of evolving at at this point. So we have the bags and we have the furniture and we're going to just keep looking for problems (laughs) and figuring (laughs) out uh, solutions that lead me into new collections. Mm. And I feel like one of the things that's really interesting about your collections is that for a lot of them, at least, there's a video associated with it. Mm. And then you're telling a story uh, about how this was created, why you created it, what it means, you know, what kind of the the backstory is on the whole thing. And, and I actually, I think that that's how I first found out about you, was watching one of these videos back in the day. And it was such an inspiring moment. I remember in my college apartment, uh, my roommate showed me, he's like, check out this video. I think you'll like it. And I think it was for, it must've been the encounter collection for the bags, for the bags. I think, yeah. I think I saw that one. And then I also saw the one, the first one for, uh, 
for the, the inheritance collection. The yeah. inheritance collection. Yeah. Um, and it was it blew my mind mm-hmm. that a piece of furniture with you know just a few components to it could have so much narrative to it. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating to me. Tell me about that process because I feel like I've never had an emotional connection to furniture or a bag before yeah. until I came across you. Mm. I mean, that means a lot. Um, yeah, I've, I've felt that for a long time now that like objects can um, open up kind of a gateway for us to like understand life in a different way because we surround ourselves with objects. Mm. And so we touch them, we sit on them, we carry them, we wear them. And they are kind of a part of our landscape right? Like my home is filled with things that mean something to me and are personal to me. Yeah. Um, and so I've always felt that if we can create really meaningful stories and associate them with the product that people get to then carry that story with them. Mm. So I think it's incredibly important to embed those stories into, um, you know, the collections that I create so that people then get to either say to their friends, let me show you this video or let me tell you about this brand Mm. or personally just be convicted and say, I'm going to live this out on my own, you know? So inheritance was about really making things locally. And I, and it was kind of around this time when the economy was still kind of rocky and people were, a lot of things were getting sent overseas in terms of manufacturing. And I really had a heart for, making things locally. This mm. idea of like going countercultural, it's more expensive, but I'm going to reveal to you the process on video and show you the faces and the hands of the people yeah. who make these products so that you can connect with it and know its origin. Because yeah. if it's going to be something that sits in your home, I think, I think you should know, you know where it's from totally. to, an, to an extent. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people could make a counter argument about the design scene or anything by saying, hey, you're focusing way too much on products and things when really you should be focused on people. But you're flipping that on its head and you're saying things are an opportunity to focus on people. Mm. In terms of like why we even decided to make furniture in the first place, besides being something that I was personally just interested in, was that if we were standing in this room and there was no furniture, we would only make it like 10, 15 minutes until we would either (laughs) want to sit on the floor or we would leave and go find some place to go like have this conversation, (laughs) right? So furniture is like an enabler of conversation. And we decided to kind of put that into action. And so I turned the back of our loft um, just right over there into a little bar um, that we decided let's serve coffee every single morning from eight o'clock to 11 you o'clock. You roll up the garage door. Rolled up people the garage door. People walk into your living room. Yeah. People would come in. And so for about one year, I did that. Just served coffee to anybody who wanted to have coffee with me. And then I would kick them out at 11 o'clock and I would go to work. And it was really amazing for me in terms of like creating a, a schedule. Like I had to be up at 7.30 and showered and coffee made That's because huge. that garage door come up even if nobody came in i would sit and read for like an hour yeah. and it was just about consistency and then these conversations that emerged as we did that project really allowed me to see the value in just getting together without an agenda mm. and just talking about life with people so we 
had a lot of people say, well, I can't come on Monday mornings. Oh yeah. And then we, we, we stopped doing it every single day cause we got really busy at work. <laughs> so we started doing Monday mornings for coffee and then we started doing Friday nights for cocktails. And we did mm. that for like about a year and a half. And, um, it was just incredible. It was like a catalyst for community. And we saw people come together, bring their friends, talk about it, um, really contribute to it. Everything was given away for free, but we put a little tip jar out and all the costs were covered. Wow. Yeah. We, we've never put our own money really into it without having it be completely paid for. And what kind of people were coming? People living in this building, people um, in downtown, people would come up from San Diego. People mm. would be like, I heard about this. And they live in, in like Hawaii or Australia. Yeah. They'd be like, I'm just in LA. And it would just be this like word of mouth thing that kind of spread. And uh, it was fascinating. Really, really interesting. And the whole concept was just how easy is it to give somebody a drink and just ask them about their life? Yeah. Man, that's so interesting. This thing that you're creating is, you know, the, the actual products that you're creating are, are just playing a, a contributing role in that. But but more than that, you're just focusing on intentionality. You're, you're just making the time, making the space, and making it happen. Mm. That's so interesting how it's so cyclical. Along the lines of people, I know that you mentioned this a minute ago, and it is so evident in your video. When you are collaborating with other people, you're truly collaborating, even if it's just, you know, the person who's sewing the fabrics or the person who's, you know, supplying, you know, the the metal or something. You're actually getting to know these people and working alongside them and treating them like partners. Tell me about that process and the intentionality behind that. Yeah, I mean, business is a really interesting thing because it, it gives you the excuse to get to know people um, and people who you would have otherwise never really got the opportunity to know. I love going into projects really not having all the answers. Um, I ask a lot more questions than I do tell people what to do. Mm. Um, so when I oftentimes come to somebody who has been highly recommended, I share the scope of the project and then I ask them, how would you do this? Do you see any problems with this? Mm -hmm. Like, um, would you do it differently? Are you the right person to do this project? And it really is really interesting to see them being surprised by that. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Um, well, actually, we used to do a project like this similar and this is kind of what we did there. And I get to glean from like 25 years experience from a lot of like my, my, uh, contractors where like they've been welding or doing upholstery for so long and I'm a newbie. Like I'm just like a kid with like wide eyed bushy tail, you know, <laughs> like pumped and excited. And they're, they're sharing with me all this insight. And then at the end of creating something, I, I don't want them to just feel like, Oh, I, I only contributed like the pillow. I want to show them the product and, you know, explain to them how exciting it is that we created this together, you know? Mm. So they've all seen the video and like as much as I possibly can, I'm showing photos of like projects that we're working on. And yeah, I think it does very much feel like um, a collaborative effort. I also enjoy collaborating with other creative um, individuals, like people who have other you know, yeah. companies and things like that. And I, I, I kind of go into it with the same sort of um, kind of like blind optimism of like, you know, what should we create together? And I don't really dive into those, um, with actually any sort of, you know, monetary expectation of like, man, we could create something that makes us a lot of money. It's more like, I really like you and I'm interested by you. So if we created something together, what could I learn from you and what could maybe I share with you? Yeah. Um, so I'll be collaborating like for the rest of my life. Like it's 
part of like my DNA. Like how mm. I go about learning is through collaboration. I saw a few cool collaborations you've done. One was with um, Truck Furniture in Japan. Yeah. And they're iconic, right? Mm. Tell me about the process of, of partnering with them. Yeah. So um, my wife and I were in Japan and we had heard about Truck Furniture and it's pretty off the beaten path. So we were in Tokyo and we took a train to Osaka and we looked up where it was. We took the train to the last stop. We walked and wandered for maybe like 30 minutes. No. Uh, finally jumped <laughs> in a cab and like showed them the address and they like kind of took us like a little bit further. Uh, and we got there and there's this coffee shop called Bird and there's truck furniture and it's a big showroom and it's this building that this guy Toki say, uh, who's now a good friend, um, created. And as my wife and I walked in and we were wandering around the showroom, uh, I guess his wife had seen us walk in from the street and called Toke in his office and said, I have a feeling about these two people. You need to go and meet them. So mm. he has become very obedient in a sense to his wife's like inklings because she's <laughs> oftentimes like very right. So he's like, okay, done. I'll cancel whatever I'm doing. So he came up and we had this conversation and he had no clue at all, like who we were or anything. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I'm, I'm token. I'm like, Oh cool. I'm Steve. And he's like, this is my place. And I'm like, no way. Like, this is amazing. Uh, and he's like, what do you do? And I, and I showed him the furniture that we make. He's like, I know this sofa. And I'm like, really crazy. And, and so we got into this conversation and he decided to start showing us around. So he showed us his home and he showed us everything. And about three hours in, we had lunch together and, uh, I had gotten That's the best. It was awesome. It, and, and I've later found that he really, um, makes himself available to a lot of guests mm. and it just is the most significant thing for cultivating relationship. Like it's a secret in a sense that he just makes time for people. Wow. He, and it's incredible. It's, I mean, how does somebody do that though when they're so busy and successful? And I mean, you're doing it too. Well, do they, ha are they so busy? You know, like, yeah. you know, I, I, I think if we're too busy for people, then I think we've completely missed the mark. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he spent a lot of time with us. And then at, while we were there, I got an email from this company called Deus Motorcycles. And they we had made a sofa for them for their shop out in Venice here. And they told me that they were opening a shop in Tokyo. And so I leaned over to Tokyo and I was like, hey, I'm going to be making these sofas for this store in in." Uh, Tokyo Deus Motorcycles. He's like, oh, I know Deus. And I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, why don't we do something together? And he's like, like collaboration. And I was like, yeah, we could maybe use your fabric on our sofa, and maybe I could use my fabric on like one of your chairs or something. And he's like, okay. And I was like, oh, great, this is awesome. <laughs> and he's like, I have never done a collaboration before, <gasps> and I've been making furniture for 19 years. And I'm thinking in my mind, well, that's kind of interesting. Like, kind of not a big deal. <laughs> and my wife grabbed me later. She's like that's insane. Like wow. you have to realize like this is a big deal now. And, and so we decided to invite him out to California. He flew out. Uh, we shot a video together, uh, visited Deus over in Venice. They gave us motorcycles. We took a trip up the coast. Uh, oh, it was really just like really special, really cool. All because he made himself available. Exactly. And you were open to working with somebody. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was just really, really special. And so we've gotten the chance to go back and visit multiple times. He's been here multiple times. And like, um, there's some possibilities to do even more projects together in the future. Wow. Um, so we're, we're just really, really excited. And I've learned so much from him about how to build something slowly over time. I kept asking him, how did you build this? And he's like, what do you mean? 
And I was like, well, I mean, it's so big and it's like so established. And he's like, I just, every day I just work hard on this. And he was like, <laughs> he kind of basically said, I've been doing this for 19 years and this is what it looks like. And I just, I don't know. It was just really, really impressive. Obviously he's incredibly talented, but it was just really um, focused. He's just mm. really focused guy. Um, and you're how many years deep on Stephen Kent? This will be our sixth. Sixth. As we kind of get okay. into like September. Yeah. So you still got like a decade and a half I got a decade and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Man, that's that's a really interesting mentality though. Like, do you believe it? That you yeah, can just like really show do. up every day and um, just work hard? Yeah, I, I do actually. Um, and actually I don't, I think comparison is the greatest thief of joy. Yeah. And I think if I were to look at his life and try to emulate it, I would lose sight of what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Um, I think it's important to have mentors and I think it's important to um, learn from others. But I think it's the most important thing to figure out, um, you know, what it is that you do well and do that with all that you can. Um, I've been really captivated just by the word excellence lately, trying to kind of wrap my mind around what does excellence look like. And I've kind of arrived at this idea that excellence is not perfection. I think mm. perfection in some ways is a myth. I think excellence is pushing past laziness. So when you know that you could do better and you choose to just do enough, I don't think you're doing your work with excellence. Yeah. But when you know you can do better and you decide to shake off tiredness, grab some food, drink some coffee, get back at it and finish strong, I think that that is something that I'll never regret. So I'm trying personally to try to just daily approach my work with excellence. Mm. Do you have any idea what your next project might be? Yes, I do. Um, Ooh. We, we are off to New York in two weeks to promote a new collection that we just designed called um, the Bowline Collection. And it's a sailing-inspired furniture collection. And we have an emphasis right now on this idea of solitude and the importance of solitude. I grew up sailing when I was a kid, and my dad had this dream, essentially, to learn how to sail. And he, my mom bought him a course to do sailing on a lake in Alberta. And as soon as he finished, she said, I want to sail in the ocean. And everyone kind of laughed at him. And he found this guy who had a boat off the coast of Victoria up in Canada. And he took him on on a trip to be kind of like his first mate. Mm. And at the end of this trip, the guy asked my dad, and they had hardly talked. He said, so Bob, do you have a family? And he's like, yeah, I have three kids, you know? And he's like, oh, he's like, interesting. Um, Want to bring them out next summer? And my dad was like, I would love to. So it just began uh, wow. this kind of uh, series of family sailing trips. So I grew up doing that. And this idea of leaving the shore and going out into kind of the unknown and trusting a vessel with your life is not only courageous, but it's also uh, inviting uh, solitude and quietness and um, just the ocean and nature. So I'm interested in that right now. I feel like we're in this hyper-connected world and we are being bombarded with information from every angle. And I think we are susceptible to just regurgitating what we're hearing. And I don't think we're listening enough. So I'm personally trying to slow down, listen, respond, and encourage people to do the same. So we're creating in a gallery out in New York um, a few different installations that's going to encourage people to slow down and just like be quiet and like listen. And then um, we've designed this collection of furniture that's uh, sailing inspired to try to 
carry that story through into objects so that uh, it's all the furniture that's in that room, actually. Mm. Uh, so I'll show it to you in a minute. But the hope is that when people sit on that sofa or that chair or use that console, they'll be reminded just to kind of go slow and kind of be more reflective and quiet. And yeah, I'm excited to see where that's going to go. That's so fascinating. I feel like, honestly, that's the biggest thing that I struggle with and I'm trying to grow in. Because for me, I think you touched on this a minute ago, my natural go-to is to consume, consume, consume because there's so much in the world. I'm so interested in it. I want to know it all. Even I think that I do some things that are like really cool to a fault where it's like, man, I want to get to know so many people's stories and I want to talk to a lot of people and have a lot of conversations. Uh, But I, I maybe am am consuming more than listening. Mm. Um, And, and I'm certainly not being quiet. And so that's been something that, I've been processing how to do more of and how to, I think, facilitate that in my life intentionally because I think it has to be intentional. You Mm -hmm. have to make the decision. Otherwise, you will fill your time and fill your energy and fill your mind. Have you found any practical ways to do that? Yeah. um, So I've always had a really hard time with routine. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always loved the idea of it. Um, <laughs> but it's like every single day there's like chaos hitting me from like every direction and all I'm doing is reacting. Hmm. And so this idea of routine just felt like just this, uh, unobtainable luxury. I was like, well, how, how, you know? <laughs> um, but then after reading a few books, uh, there's one called daily routines, which is really fascinating. It talks about all these kind of famous people's daily routines. And a lot of the consistent things were waking up early. So I thought that's one thing I can control. Yeah. So it took me a while to get to the point where I'm at right now. Uh, but I've been doing it for about six months now where I wake up at 5.30 every morning. Whoa. And um, I stumble outside and sit in the hot tub for about 10 minutes until my eyes kind of like open up. And I'm sitting there in the pitch black with like the palm trees. And it's like kind of like that kind of like twilightish kind of morning vibe where it's like the sun's just starting to come up. Uh, and then once the jets turn off after 10 minutes, cause I set the timer, I swim a kilometer and then I come in here, uh, make coffee. Bex is like just kind of waking up. And then I go up into that little room up there that we call the tea room mm. and it has tatami mats on the floor. And, uh, I basically just sit and read and journal, um, until about seven thirty. And then I come down here and jump on my motorcycle and then go to the office, get there around like 7.45. And then the employees come in around 8. And um, I have a meeting with uh, one of my employees each day of the week. So I can And how have, many employees do you have? We have three. And then, and then my wife. Um, so I meet with... Uh, and then we do a team meeting on Monday. So everybody on Monday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is with each of the employees. And then with my wife, Bex, we meet on Friday. Mm. Um, and it's that alone that's and then, and then after that like it all hell breaks loose and it's just like i can't control <laughs> it after that point yeah. but but just having that beginning seems up amazing to that point wow i'm kind of like in control up until about nine o'clock and when you're having your meetings is it just like standard business meetings or what what do you see as the value of that yeah basically each week i just say how you doing mm. and then um you know, I I can't really do much if I met with I'm fine, but I can go someplace if I hear them 
saying, well, this is what I'm thinking about, or like, I'm kind of frustrated by this or, and then we have this conversation about how to like create solutions from problems. Mm. Um, so I probe a little bit and then, um, if there really is nothing to kind of like, you know, get into, um, then we talk about certain things. So each person I work with is responsible for different things in the company. And we talk about, you know, goals and we talk about things that we want to accomplish over the week and then we review it the next week. Wow. Yeah, it's good. And then I give a ton of autonomy. So I, I don't really kind of check in and say, um, what are you doing right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that that can be a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, just micromanaging. So mm. um, I want to work with people that I trust and I want to have clear expectations. And then I want to like allow myself to do what I'm supposed to do. That's great. That's so interesting. And I love the, and just the entire intentionality in that morning routine. Mm. When do you turn on your phone? It's on like like that's what wakes me up. Yeah, is my phone. Obviously, I don't take it to the pool, um, and then I I leave it outside of the tea room. Like mm. we have no technology in the tea room. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm pretty kind of like on my phone all the time, and yeah, man, that that's tricky. You know, I I, I think that that would probably be the next thing that I maybe like kind of overcome is like constantly looking at email. Or like, you know, checking Instagram or like texting with people or like just the stream of consciousness that yeah. involves my hands and my phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a tricky thing, but I don't want to be somebody who totally shuns it because I don't think that that's forward thinking. Like, I don't think that the future is phone free. Yeah. I think that it's learning phone balance. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to figure out as well. Mm. Um, I got no tricks for you. <laughs> yeah. That is all right. We'll figure it out together. Um through the process of this conversation and telling me about all the things you're creating, everything really does have a story. You know, the story of, of your father and sailing, like that's him passing on his legacy to you and, and you putting that legacy into a collection that will live on. Do you think very often about your own legacy? Not really, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very little. Um, I think that, that would probably just consume me if I did, Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm very interested in just being present in the moment. Um, just trying to kind of, uh, be available, you know, take time for myself and, um, spend time like thinking and in solitude and, you know, be available for my wife and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I bet it'll change, uh, when, and if I have kids. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cause then I think you're kind of actively pouring into somebody that you, you're investing in like a life. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. I love the idea of like legacy. Yeah. For sure. And I, and my dad has played a huge role in my life. In fact, uh, my grandfather's name was Ken Opperman and my middle mm. name is Ken. And so even when naming this company, I thought what roots me in the past well allows me to lean into the future. And I thought my story is still being told. And so I'm pushing into the future while my grandfather anchors me in the past. Mm. And so I always want everything that I do to have some sort of a history to it while still like being progressive. Mm. That's really interesting. If you could give one piece of advice to somebody who wants to fill the world with beauty and art and momentum and, and maybe even legacy, but they didn't know where to start, what kind of advice would you give them? Mm, I I mean, maybe I'm obsessed with this idea right now of solitude, but I, I truly believe that um, that's where it starts. I think um, spending time alone and being comfortable with your own thoughts 
um, allowing yourself to kind of like ramble or feel uncomfortable in your own head will, will slow you down. You get to start asking questions. You get to start listening. And I think, yeah, I genuinely do believe that every single person has something to contribute that's of value. And until they can kind of figure out what it is they care about, what they're passionate about, what they value, then they're able to start forming how they get to kind of share those thoughts and those feelings in ways that impact other people's lives. Man, what an incredible time with Stephen Ken. I really like this guy. I'm a huge fan of him. It was so nice. Later that night after our conversation, Stephen and Bex invited me back over to have dinner at their house. Uh, We just got to have some really good conversation, talk about what they do a little bit more. And let me tell you, this guy is genuine and legit. And I cannot wait to put some of this guy's furniture in my home one day. Oh man, what a good conversation. I feel like I left thinking a lot about how to create a little bit more space for solitude in my routine and maybe how to invite more talented people into the fold to collaborate alongside because I think that's really, really cool. If you haven't seen Steven's work before, I absolutely encourage you to check it out. His website is stephenken.com. That's Ken with two N's and his website is beautiful and you can see his work and the beautiful things that he has brought to the world. Oh, and you can totally watch the films that uh, that I mentioned at the top of the show and during the episode because they are good. They are so connective. And yeah, I think that anybody who appreciates good design and creativity will really enjoy seeing his work. You can also follow Steven online on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and see some of the behind the scenes of what he's creating and see the things that he's bringing to life. If you're new to the podcast, if this is your very first time listening and you liked this conversation with Steven, I think that you're going to love my conversation with Aaron Draplin and Jessica Hish, two incredibly talented designers who are also creating things with excellence. We got into the nitty gritty of their craft, but also their stories. Their episodes are back to back. Just search for Sounds Good in iTunes or, you know, you're, you're already listening to it. So just dig it up, scroll back. You'll find them. Aaron Draplin, Jessica Hish, check them out. I want you to get looped in, hooked up with more stories we've shared on Sounds Good. If you want to learn more about Sounds Good and about me and the things that we're creating at Good Good Good, check out goodgoodgood.co. And we've got all the details about what we're up to. We have a podcast. You're listening to it. We've got a newsletter. It's super cool. Not like a boring newsletter. And we've got a newspaper. What? Check it out. Goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, I think that that's a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week. And we'll be back next week with another incredible conversation with an inspiring person. Sound good?